Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Renee Garfinkel, your host with the Van Leer Jerusalem Institute. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Rachel Wurzberger about her book, Jews in the Age of Authenticity, Jewish Spiritual Renewal in Israel. Dr. Rachel Wurzberger is the co-director of the Van Leer Institute's research group on new religious movements in Israel. Rachel Wurzberger, welcome to the show. Hi. Rachel, let's begin by finding out a little about you. What was your own family, spiritual or religious background? So I grew up in a modern Orthodox family, an academic family. And I grew up in Israel. I didn't grow up in the States. And which meant for me that I grew up in the Orthodox school public, um, public system which means I grew up with friends who were also modern Orthodox or religious Zionists, as we call them here. And I grew up knowing that this is, this is my world. This is the way the world should be. Um, there, are, there is a God. There are things we have to do. Um, there are things we're not supposed to do. Um, and I went through that sort of life, through my army service until my next stage. Um, where sort of things start, started to shuffle um, around me. I understand. And tell us about that iconic moment you write about that you had in India. Hmm. Okay, so um, at the time, at the stage where I traveled to India, you know, many Israelis travel off to the army service. It's kind of a gap year tradition of Israelis. Um, so I yes. traveled to South America after my army service, and that was more or less a time I stopped. I stopped observing. Um, in Hebrew, we say "toadeti takipa." I became became ex-religious. The tiyale she'avar. It was it was a long process, but that was the process started uh, after my after my army service during my travels in South America. And several years afterwards, after I finished my BA degree, my bachelor degree in the Hebrew U, um, I traveled to India um, with two of my friends. And we spent the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in Dharamsala in India. And what I didn't know then, and I know now after doing all my research, is that Dharamsala at some point of, um, I guess, contemporary Judaism history became a hub for for the new Jewish spirituality, um, which became later the focus of my study. But I didn't know any of that when I came there to the Ramsala. I just, we heard there were some people organizing Rosh Hashanah services there, and I went with two of my friends who traveled to the Ramsala. And for me, that experience was a real eye-opener. It was a personal eye-opener, and it was also a scholarly eye-opener. Um, because for me, it was the first time I ever experienced um, what some people would call spiritual, Jewish spiritual service, 
um, a non-orthodox and halachic spiritual service in which um, men and women sat together. They prayed, but they weren't very committed to the whole service. Um, we had uh, we were sitting on a beautiful, beautiful rooftop of a restaurant that was run by a group of young Jewish Buddhists from from the states, actually. And we had they invited over a Buddhist monk who lived in in one of the monasteries, Buddhist monk, Tibetan Buddhist monasteries in Dharamsala. And it turned out that this Buddhist monk was actually Jewish. Um, so he blessed us both both in English, I think, or was in Hebrew, and also in Tibetan. And for me, it was very it was a very special, very special moment because it really led me to understand that there are all kinds of ways and different ways for being Jewish, um, which are very diff- different from the way I grew up in Israel and the way the things are set up in Israel were. Well, in the States, you have a non-American Judaism, you have the liberal option, which hardly exists in Israel, at least and when I grew up, it didn't exist at all. Now it's a little bit, it's getting a little bit, um, expanding a little bit, but still, I mean, the, the dominant the dominant affiliations is either the T or Chiloni, religious or secular, and this was something in between. This wasn't exactly religious the way I understood religion as orthodoxy, and it wasn't secular because it did have um, this spiritual um, hue to the whole experience. Um, and the people who were involved in this, in the organizing this event, were also very different from people I knew back home. One of them, one of them is Rabbi Michi Yosefi, who is a Choser Bitshuva, um, partly connected to Braslav, but also to to other more Zionist, religious Zionist um, thinkers. And the second person who was involved, which I feel I should mention his name, is the late Azriel Cohen from Toronto. Um, Azriel was, when I was in Dharamsala, um, and I talked to him, and I met Azriel, and talked to him, it turned out that I actually knew his sister from the sabbatical year we spent in in Toronto. And Azriel was a very special soul, and he, he had his own spiritual journey um, worldwide spiritual journey, and and he didn't add up. But at some point, he ended up in Dharamsala, and he organized this um, high holidays events. And then he he continued um, to other places until his early passing away a few years ago. Um, but those two very special people organized this very this, this event, which impacted me. It took me a while after my during my PhD studies to understand how much is event impact my thinking and realization of, of what Judaism is for people living in this days in, in this day and age. I see. So that's where the seed for your research was planted. Um, let's let's clarify some terms that you use. What what is spiritual renewal? Um, okay, so renewal is is the you know renewing the tradition and you have different Groups trying different religious groups, both Jewish and non-Jewish, who are trying to renew their tradition in one way or another. Um, you have in Israel people are working on secular renewal, secular Jewish renewal. Um, so that that would be one one 
one way, you know, one trajectory for the renewal. The renewal I I'm interested in is spiritual renewal, um, where people, where Jewish people, both in the states and and in Israel, are interested in renewing the Jewish tradition um, in a spiritual way, in what they conceive as what is spiritual, as as a spiritual experience, as a mystical experience, even. Um, and what's interesting interests me is is both the way this is done. So how do you spiritually renewal, renew um, Jewish life, and how you how do you legitimize this sort of renewal? Because it does it's not a reform. It's never framed as reform, which is interesting. It's always framed as renewal or revival. So it's um it's leaning on the past, but trying to 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 renew the present. In, in thinking about what the future of Jewish life should be. And since you mentioned the comparison of uh, Jewish life in Israel and in uh, America, what distinguishes Jewish spiritual renewal movements or activities in Israel from similar ones in the States and, and elsewhere? Um, because it's, it's a tricky question, especially that because... The sort of spiritual renewal I studied and I describe in my book, um, which was actually two communities, it was an ethnography, a description of two communities that were active in the beginning of the millennium, does not exist anymore. There's one community that does, um, that is active in Jerusalem at the moment, but they, um, their style is more North American than Israelis, <laughs> than Israeli. Um, if I have to, if I do I have to do this comparison? I would say that the Jewish spiritual renewal I I witnessed in Israel was more in line in what in with Jewish with sorry not Jewish with New Age Israeli New Age culture. So the the rabbis the leaders who who founded the communities I studied um, sort of took ideas sort of merged I guess fused idea from the Jewish renewal. Um, American Jewish renewal movement um, in the states, and with conceptions of spirituality um, by Israeli New Agers. Um, so the style, the aesthetics, would be very New Age festival-y, like Israeli New Age festivals. So people would be everything, of course, would be in Hebrew. People would be sitting on 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 the grass or on the floor. Um, Doing some chanting, um, something very Israeli to it, very Indian-like. Where if in Jewish renewal, in American Jewish renewal, it's not. I mean, the whole the whole sort of New Age culture of you know Indian style is not exists, but not it's not as as important or as centered as in the Israeli one. New Age spirituality has gotten a lot of criticism in the States by traditional religions, Christian in particular. Um, and I believe they've also been criticized here uh, in Israel. What, what, uh, what do people object to about New Age religions? So there's, there's a lot of things to object in, in New Age religion. Um, in the critiques, is, is sounded not only from from religious leaders but also from from culture critique um, 
where whereas religious leaders, traditional Orthodox leaders, would criticize the disengagement from from commitment, from religious commitment, from halacha, basically. Um, New Age culture, spirituality is a lot about um, pick pick and choose. You know, people choose from whatever tradition, location, um, historical moment. They choose some sort of um, practice and sort of mix between it. So you can do yoga, yoga and shamanism and um, channeling and um, mindfulness meditation and either do that or mix it with with Judaism, with the Jewish tradition, and and you know with no at least in um, in Jewish circles it, it lacks the commitment to to the to the halacha to the law. Um, so you know and and of course religious leaders would say mapitam. I mean we are committed to to God and we are committed to the Torah and. There's a certain prayers that you have to say and there's certain rules you have to observe and you cannot, you know, choose whatever you want to. Um, cultural critique would say that New Age culture is all about consuming. It's basically another, it's part of consumer culture where you choose whatever commodity, religious commodity you want um, with, no, with no commitment to, to the society. It's all about yourself, what makes you feel good. Um, what makes you feel right. On the other hand, mm-hmm. sorry, on, on the other hand, uh, I've heard some critiques that question whether New Age religiosity mm-hmm. or New Age religions themselves are cults. Hmm. What do you say to yeah. those critics? Okay, so I'm, I'm laughing because the issue of cults is, is a, it's a complicated issue. Um, I... You've heard that criticism before. Yeah, of course. Before, I'm, I'm also involved in um, in a project that tries to collect information about new religious movements slash cults in Israel, and we're involved. It's also connected to Van Leeuwen Institution, and we are also involved in this cult polemics in Israel. Um, people people choose. I mean, cult is a is a old sociological concept, which uh, you know I will not go into now. But when people use now cult, they use it as sort of um, um, you know uh, d- derivative, something bad to say about another group, religious group, which we don't agree with. And cults are usually accused of, or often they are accused with being led by um, by a charismatic guru who abuses. Um, his disciples and um, sorry for that and um, and so and does not let them leave. So it's, it's kind of a very close group, very tight knit group with very dogmatic um, doctrine and sometimes which may lead to sometimes to to abuse of the of the people in in the group. Um, New Age. I mean, in general, most New Age. The New Age movement is is not cultish because it is not a it's not a group, it's not even a movement. I mean, we use the term movement, but it's not a movement. It's it's a network of different groups, practices, organizations, modes of thought. Um, so I w- it would probably be wrong to call them cult, even if I would have used the, this concept. Uh, sometimes some groups. Um, have some, you know, may have a cult, uh, a charismatic leader, 
um, who might who may unfortunately, as often happens, also not in New Age circles, may abuse his um, his adherents. Um, but this, if you ask me, this is a dynamic that happens everywhere. Um, unfortunately, not only in religious groups. Of course, the more the more closed the group is, which most New Age groups are not closed at all, but are very open. You can come, live, join, whatever. Um, sometimes, every once in a while, you may have something that resembles um, this sort of behavior. So, one of the groups I studied did have a crisis around the. the the guy who led them, who, as it turned out, abused or was accused of abusing um, some of his students and workers in the community. Well, let's talk about those communities. Um, tell us about them. Uh, Hamakom, the mm-hmm. place, and uh, Bayit Chadash, the new house. Um, what, what did they try to do? So both of them... Uh, focused or concentrated on on bringing spiritual renewal. Um, And they did it in very similar ways. The the idea was if we want to make, we want to renew Judaism, Jewish life, we want to make it more spiritual. We have, I guess you can say, spiritual resources around us. We have, or most of the people in Israel, New Age culture, know yoga, they know meditation. So let's bring in these practices um, and 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 um, integrate them into into what we do. So if we do a Kabbalah Shabbat, then we can do some chanting during Kabbalah Shabbat, or we can do some meditation during Friday night yeah, service. Sorry, Friday night service. traditional Friday night service. Sorry. Yes. Um, so let's so let's integrate this non-Jewish elements into into the Jewish tradition. Um, let's study Hasidic stories, but not think of them as models for, for, for legal behavior, but as model for spiritual development. Um, so right, stories of Rabbi Nachman of Braslav were very popular in those two communities. Well, there is the uh, word spiritual again. Um, and it, it's a fairly modern Hebrew word. Not, it's not in classical Hebrew religious writings. What, what exactly do you think it means, or as close to exact <laughs> can you describe it in, in general and to Israelis and to Jews? So, well, three different groups. Yeah. So, as an, an anthropologist, I don't know what it means, but I can try and tell you what it means to people. I, I have no idea what is really spirituality or is there something like spirituality, but I know that people use it and have been using it since, since the 60s over and over again with sometimes it's changing meanings. Um, so for, for, usually, for most people, West, people living in the West, including Jews, <laughs> in Israel and outside of Israel, spirituality means some sort of a religious experience which is out, which takes place outside of, of, of religion as, as something institutionalized. Um, this is something which you personally experience. It's very subjective, unmediated, um, some sort of experience of the sacred. 
And this, this sacred could be God, could be articulated as God, but it could also be something else, a higher, some sort of a, um, entity, um, higher self. Um, so it, can, it has different meanings, but all, I think all of the people who would be now using the term spiritual would agree that this is something which is dis- unrelated or take takes place outside of religion. And what you have, which in this, at least in North America, is people who actually now prefer to define themselves as spiritual but not religious. So they would not they would yes. not affiliate affiliate themselves with one of the religions um, because they conceive this religion as hierarchical and as a lot of time patriarchal, and they do not want to identify with that or with a commitment to what the religion demands. But they do believe in something, um, something out there, something higher than them. And they try to search for experiences of that thing. Um, so that would be spirituality in general for um, Israelis. You know, just regular New Ager, they would probably agree with the definitions as well as Americans to Jews. But I think for um, people looking for Jewish spirituality, it, are people who are looking for these spiritual experiences inside Judaism. So they're saying, we want to be spiritual. We're looking for spiritual experiences, but we, are, we want to do that through our own tradition and not go join a Buddhist monastery um, to find our own spirituality. So the two communities you studied uh, had a commitment to the spiritual renewal, mm-hmm. had had good leadership, as you mentioned, uh, uh, or maybe that's an assumption I'm making. <laughs> yeah. why, why, did, why, why did the communities end or close? Well, the one who closed and the other changed. Okay. Um, so I'm laughing because of the term good leadership, because I think both, both leaders, um, one of them was, um, you know, I'll, I'll skip the names. Um, both of them were very charismatic and very impressive people, um, impressive men. Um, one was Israeli, one was American, and they drew in people. I mean, they brought in the vision of of of, a, of renewal, and they brought in, you know, the, they founded the communities and managed to draw people to the to the community. The first one, the Hamakom community, was very very small. Actually, they lived. They lived in um, in the Judean desert, and they, you know, on the whole, they had like something like maybe sixty people at at its best. Um, but they had all these public events to which people would come, people who did not officially belong to the community. The second community was was bigger. They didn't live together. They met, convened in the mostly in Yafo in the in the late last years. Um, but both of the communities did not did not hold. They, they both of them fell apart while I was doing my field work, which was you know big issue for me, of course. Um, and why did they fall apart? So there's stories to each one of the communities. Um, I guess, and it's hard to find explanations that you know would satisfy everyone. It's each person I asked about it would say something else. But my my take on the first community, the Hamakom community, was that there uh, it was made of a group of very individualistic people. Each one was intent on his own spiritual journey, and they 
arrived at Hamakom as part of this journey, but at some point or another, they wanted to continue the journey alone. And, and the community did not hold. And once the, the, the leader sort of um, also uh, became less interested <laughs> in the project, the community could not hold. They had too many issues between them. They lived together. They loved together. They, um, they, they had a very intensive community life. And I think they also lacked the commitment you need to hold this intensive community life. So if you're not totally committed to the idea then of, of Jewish renewal, but you're committed to the idea of your own personal spiritual journey, then once once you know the hardship became too strong, they just they decided to to um, um, to break down the community. And the, the people left. The second community wasn't as intensive because they didn't live together. Um, they just they they prayed. They had prayer services. They had. Um, they studied together. They had a Beit Midrash, uh, a Jewish school, <laughs> um, and they had a very charismatic rabbi who was basically the center of the community. And once um, it was it was realized that um, there was, and he was accused that he is abusing women in the community, the community just fell apart. They fired him. They decided to that. Um, that he cannot be their their leader anymore, and he he returned to the stage the states actually, and then uh, and then the community fell apart. Um, it didn't take long. It, which is ironic and interesting because you write a lot about the importance of the concept of spiritual healing in these communities, uh, and and who did they think needed to be healed? conventional religion or the larger society or each person what what was the healing um okay so first of all the concept of healing is a very popular concept in in contemporary spiritualities um i think there's one important historian of religion catherine albanese who said that this is the new redemption um if the older traditional religions everybody wants to be redeemed now everybody wants to be healed um, yes, <laughs> you know it's part of our therapeutic culture where we always feel there's something lacking and we need to get better to be healed. Um, in I think in the communities, first of all, as as part of that culture, they wanted themselves to be healed, to heal, be healed from you know abusive relationships, from problems with with um, with parents, everything we want to you know get better from. But they also wanted to heal Judaism, or at least the leaders um, thought that Judaism should be healed or renewed. So in a way, these are synonymous to one another. Um, Judaism, one of my favorite paragraphs written by Ohad Ezrach, the rabbi, was that we need to heal Judaism. So Judaism is sick. Um, Orthodox culture have really... um, uh, hurt Judaism. It's it, it's sick now. It's not. It's, this is not the way Jewish life should be. Let's heal it. Let's make it more spiritual, um, and so on. Well, recent decades, perhaps since the latter part of the 20th century, has seen an increasing global trend toward traditional religion and even fundamentalist forms of religions not only among Jews, but also among Christians and Muslims. Um, uh, 
how do you explain that? And are the people who are attracted to traditional or even fundamentalist forms of religion different in some way that you can point to from the spiritual seekers that you studied? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good question. I mean, is a, I'm, I don't have the psychological profile, of course, of people who are attracted to fundamentalist religions as opposed to people who are attracted to the more loose, uncommitted forms of spirituality. Um, my guess would be that people who are drawn to, to more traditional or fundamentalist religion are looking for, looking for the truth for straightforward answers, for knowing what's right and what's wrong. And religions and fundamentalism especially gives you, give you that, um, that, those answers. Um, while New Age spirituality is much more postmodern in that sense. I mean, there's no straightforward answer for anything. Everything goes. I mean, your God is just as important or just as existent as my God, and actually all gods are the same, and you're not, if we look at, you know, Jewish spirituality, you're not committed to to do all those things demanded out of, you know, Jewish tradition, halachic tradition demands of you, but you can choose, so it's, I think there's a people who are more looking for something more fluid, more, um, more flexible. Um, they don't want to be told what to do. They want to decide themselves what's right for them and what's wrong for them. Well, I was wondering how that compares with uh, another renewal uh, movement within Judaism, the neo-Hasidic movement, which also attempts to build on spiritual renewal that was the original Hasidic movement in the 18th century and adapt it to the 21st century. What, how do, can you compare the two, the New Age spiritual renewal with the neo-Hasidic? With neo-Hasidism? Um, I would say that the two are almost, almost the same. I mean, and, and some of, I think some of, um, certainly the, you know, the Jewish renewal the North American Jewish renewal and the, the um, students of Rabbi Zalman Shechter Shalomi would even call themselves a neo-Hasid. So, you know, there's this thing that are emerged um, almost together. I guess, I guess, I mean, the, the, histor- the historical trajectories is, um, can tell us a lot because you can, you see two, two Chabad missionaries, missionaries, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Karlibach and, uh, and Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Shechta Shlomi. And um, both of them started together in Hillel as Chabad, as Chabad and they, <laughs> they founded together the House of Love and Prayer in San Francisco. And some, at one at certain moment, they parted ways because um, Karlibach remained committed to, to halakha and halachic way of life, even, you know, giving, making it a little bit more flexible and less rigid. But the commitment remained while, while um, Sheikh Shalomi sort of suggested that there are things, halakha should be understood more as a metaphor for correct living than as a set of rules that you need to observe in a rigid way. And and these are the two traject- trajectories that exist more or less now. 
I guess now for the Neo Hasid, at least the Israeli style of Neo Hasid would also wouldn't be only curly box, but also would probably focus on 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 would be sort of neo brass level also into it. Um, but they would still remain committed to orthodoxy. Well, the other the other strand would not. Well, talk a little bit about the nexus between music, prayer, the body, emotions, and self transformation. How did it all come together? Okay, so one one of the things I try to to, uh, to understand in my study is the power of the sort of prayer that were offered in the two communities because this they were very powerful even for me as an outsider. Very they draw you in, and I was trying to understand why do people are attracted? Why do new agers or spiritualists attracted to this sort of um, sort of prayer and or um, yeah, liturgy. And I think one of the things that we, when we uh, look into what's going on generally in the world and what's going on in religion, and we, and when we see what people are understanding, understand as spiritual experience, um, and how do they authenticate? How do they verify that this is a spiritual experience that they're actually feeling something is through the body? Um, and through the senses, and we can see all over now that there's very, very strong emphasis not only in New Age, but also you can look at it. You can find it also in evangelist Christianity. There's a lot of emphasis on music. Music does something to you. The aesthetic experience makes you feel, draws you in, um, and and you can find this trend also in in you know in Jewish renewal where prayers. Are becoming and also Neo Hasidism. If you if you think about um, Rabbi Shlomo Karlibach, where music become a locus of, of the experience of the spiritual experience, of the religious experience, um, and you you can you can find these experiences either in in contemplative practices as in meditation, but you can also and this is and this goes well um, with with Jewish commitment to the community is in when you in when you do your service you're in a community so the way to do it would be in uh in through through music and through dance and through movement and through emotion and when added up all of this together for for the people who who participate in this sort of events this is a self transformative experience when they go out of these events, you know, reaching some sort of ecstasy um, during, during it. They, they feel something in them has changed. Uh, Yom Kippur is the most solemn day in the Jewish year. Traditionally, it's a day of prayer, fasting, self-examination. How is it observed by the New Age communities? Well, in a way, it wasn't that different than, than the way it's observed everywhere else. I mean, people came to the communities in order to fast and pray, which is the way Jews have been celebrating Yom Kippur you know, for the last 2,000 years or so. Um, but I guess, first of all, the prayers were New Age styled, so there would be a lot of music. Um, I'm not sure... I don't remember if it was with instruments or not, um, but there was a lot of music, a lot of prayers, a lot of meditation. Um, well, and and some people fasted, but other people did not, and this was fun. 
Um, I think in one of the communities there was also at the Yom Kippur event I, I participated in, there was also a table with coffee and cookies when people were not interested in um, um, in fasting. But in general, it wasn't that different, I guess. I mean, the style was different, but I think the essence remained pretty much the same like everywhere else. Well, the, the land of Israel is fundamental to Judaism and to Jewish identity of people within Israel and outside of Israel. What role did it play in the uh, Jewish spiritual renewal world? Okay, that's, that's a hard question. I would say, well, I guess for the people, for the Israelis, it was a taking for granted thing. Um, it wasn't, the two communities weren't Zionist in their ideology. Um, you wouldn't have the flag of Israel, let's say, um, hung on the, on the wall um, during the meetings or anything. Um, I think for, the, for one of the communities, the one in Metzokedragot, at least for the leader, there was something, um, it was a, the early history of, of the land of Israel that was interested um, for him, um, because when he was trying to imagine the renewal of Judaism, and because he was um, because he was convinced that the the, rab, the the rabbinic period and the and the transformation from temple period to rabbinic Judaism has this is damaged. This is what damaged Judaism. So in his vision, he was trying to. Return Judaism to its previous stage before the destruction of the Second Temple, um, to what he he felt or what he tried to present as, as the essence of of the real essence of Judaism, when Judaism wasn't a religion of text but a religion of of ritual and body and love, which was was very important for him. Um, so it's kind of a it's a kind of a Canaanite move, um, um, trying to to ignore, jump over two thousand of Jewish history in the diaspora, and return to to um, to the ancient to ancient Judaism, which is in the land of Israel. Which is very interesting because that notion of returning to a a very, very ancient form of religion is common among fundamentalists as well. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's just interesting yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting and it's also, sorry. Yes, yeah. no, please, go ahead. Um, I think, at least for him, he was aware of this sort of paradox in what he was doing because in his early biography, it was also connected to some groups of settlers, of right-wing radical settlers. And, but for him, it's, pre, it's sort of a pre-Zionist, pre-Rabbinic form of Judaism, which is almost neo-pagan. Um, but very pre-Rabbinic, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, as survey research among Israeli Jews as far back as the 1980s, and maybe even before, but I've only seen it since the 1980s, it reflects that religious practice among Israeli Jews is on a continuum. 
very few Israelis, a very small portion of the population, are entirely secular without any traditional practice, for example, a Passover Seder. Uh, but your subjects seem to see religious identity as necessarily binary, religious versus secular. What, why is that? Or maybe that's not correct. That okay. I, th- I think what my, my subject tried to do is to overcome this binary. Ah. Um, what, what is, yes, I think that, that's part of the, of the project of, of Jewish renewal for them. Um, because Israeli society, both in scholarly discourse and, and popular discourse, is divided between religious and secular. Um, school system is divided between religious schools and, and secular. And you grow, you grow up, you know, understanding you're either secular or religious, which actually for, for American would be, would be orthodox. But American Jews don't, don't view the division this way, while Israelis all the time do. But at the same time, there are more and more people who are aware that we're, we're actually looking at not a divide, not a binary, um, but the spectrum, as you say. And part of part of what the people in the communities I studied do is trying to overcome this binary, saying, "Yes, we're secular; we're not committed to to um, to the observance, but we are. We do want to be engaged in Jewish practice. And you can, you can pray in Yom Kippur even if you don't fast. If we take the example of Yom Kippur, or you can you know take take part in in um, in Friday prayer service um, even if you drove there." Or spoken the phone in the way, which is something which, for lib- American liberal Jews, is is you know completely taken for granted. But for Israelis, it's it's a very avant-garde <laughs> way of looking at at Jewish religiosity. Okay. Um, so I, th- I yeah. think that's a story. That's a story they also told me when I asked them, you know, tell me about your stories, life stories. All of them were talking about this divide when I grew up as a secular, but then I started in being interested in Judaism or. I grew up as as a religious person, but then I stopped being religious, and now I want to go back to you know to practicing, but I don't want to be committed to 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 the you know groups and and divisions as they are as they exist uh, in Israel. Do you think everyone is on a spiritual quest at some point in their lives? Is it something fundamental to living in our historical time period? Or do you think there's something different about spiritual seekers compared with non-seekers? <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question. Um, if I think everybody's in a spiritual journey, no, I don't think. I think some people, some people are more sensitive to these issues and they spend their life looking for the reasons, for philo- you know, philosophical reasons, why do they live and what, what is a word, life worth living for? And um, is there something out there? And some people are not engaged and don't care about these questions at all. And they, you know, they live their life, um, material, everyday life, with never think, giving a thought about these issues. I think there's certainly in, in, in our um, current social reality, um, there's more and more trend toward that. I mean, people, if, I mean, people, Middle class, I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it differently, middle class people who are materially rather well off. 
um, can are privileged in the sense that they can go on spiritual searches because they know they have, you know, financially they're they're okay and they can, you know, okay, so now I take the time off and go in for meditation. Well, if you're lower lower class and you have to work um, 12, 12 hours a day, you have much less time or emotional ability for going on a spiritual search. So there's something which is also um, partially um, class, um, economical thing that, that that is also part of the spiritual search. It's not, it's not only psychology or religiosity. It's also something which is more socially and, and politically um, part of it. Okay, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. It, of course, can sound like a luxury to uh, be on an intensive uh, spiritual journey. Um, and is that what you found in your communities that you studied, that uh, participants had a middle class or upper middle class background? Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's part of what I found. I mean, it wasn't part of the project, but it was there. And in recent years, I've started thinking about these issues as well, um, looking at New Age Judaism in, in terms of, of class and, um, and economics and neoliberalism and all that um, context for the emergence, like more, more the social context for the emergence of these spiritual forms. Well, it's extremely interesting, and we've taken up a lot of your time. But before you go, tell us what you're working on now. <laughs> okay, so the two the two projects I'm currently working on is one, as I said, is is looking into the the class um, aspect of New Age Judaism. I'm working on it with, with my colleague Dana Kaplan from the Open U, and we've 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 done some writing and thinking about these issues, thinking why do uh, middle class is secular Israelis have become interested. Why did um, secular Israelis become interested in in New Age Judaism, um, and and not to, and not and do not uh, and not in orthodoxy? I mean, why do they? What, what, what's so attractive um, in 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 spirituality for them? Um, which instead of going to like joining a yeshiva or becoming a bal shuvah becoming orthodox or fundamentalist. And we have some, we have some answers in that, uh, for that. And the second project, the second um, thing I'm thinking about is actually more about American Judaism and Jewish spirituality um, in North America and about its relation with neoliberalism. Um, again, why, what, what's so attractive in, in certain forms of Jewish spirituality that have become very popular recently in the mainstream America, uh, neo Musa or, or Jewish mindfulness. And I try to connect it to, to neoliberalism and, and self-government and all kinds of issues. Well, those sound like great projects, and I'll look forward to reading about them and hearing more about them. For right now, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today, and thanks as well to our researcher, Bela Pasikov. Bye-bye now. Take care, Rachel. Thank you.